morning, this very rainy, dreary-looking morning. We have an opportunity uh, to gather here in the nice, dry, warm building, and we have an opportunity today uh, to study about our Lord. Please understand these facts as we move through this particular lesson. If Jesus would have fulfilled every prophecy, if he would still have continued to teach the way he did, if he still would have continued to uh, teach everyone about the uh, necessity of following after God, if he would have lived that exact same life, and if he would have been put on that cross to die, if he would have been uh, laid in that tomb, without him coming out of that tomb on that fateful Sunday morning, it doesn't really matter. You and I would have no hope of salvation. We would have no opportunity to be faithful to God. He would not have been the sacrifice for mankind if he did not walk out of that tomb. But good news for us, he did. Let's go back a little further in his life and notice a few things. It's a conservative effort or a conservative estimation to say that those who had been crucified in the course of human history be somewhere in the hundreds of thousands and perhaps if it's not the conservative effort estimate, if you go further down the line, perhaps there are those who would say even millions had been sacrificed or rather had been crucified on that cross just in the same fashion Jesus was. At least 18 different nations have had in their history some sort of crucifixion. Crucifixion really started with the Persian nation, but Rome kind of saw it, liked it, and then had the opportunity to perfect it. To imagine that Jesus Christ was the only person ever wrongfully uh, put to death on a cross would be a, a gross miscalculation from us. Many folks, even in our nation, have been wrongfully charged. Many folks even wrongfully convicted, even some wrongfully uh, executed by the state. It's not to say that that is simply a problem of the United States. Sometimes innocent people tend to slip through the cracks, even, even when we try our best to keep them from that. You think of all the people from the beginning of history who have ever been executed by the state, whether guilty or innocent, you tell me how many have returned from the dead. Well, the answer there is just one. And as you and I look at resurrections in general today, uh, we're going to keep in mind that one. Notice this. You, you look throughout the Bible and you see that, that God uses the idea and uses the purpose of resurrection for, for many purposes. He'll use those things in order to teach other people. In Mark chapter 5 and verse number 22 beginning, 
Jesus is confronted with a man by the name of Jairus, and his daughter is deathly ill at the time Jesus and Jairus have a discussion. As a matter of fact, she is nigh unto death. I mean, she is a just seemingly just a breath away. As Jairus is speaking to Jesus, he says, you speak it and, and she'll be alive. And Jesus said, well, why don't I just come to your house? And he said, no, that's, that's not going to work. You see, because I'm a man of authority and I tell people to go here and do this and go there and do that. And, and I don't want to tell you to come here and you feel like you have to because of some authority I may wield in this world. Jesus said, go home, your daughter is whole. Now, here's an interesting side of this particular story. As he comes home, one of his servants runs out to him and says, your daughter is whole. And he said, about what time did that happen? And, and that servant told him, and it was about the exact same time that Jesus said to him, you go home. Your daughter's fine. First Kings chapter 17, you and I find Elijah uh, living at this point in time with a widow and her son and, and they are going through a fantastic famine and the widow said uh, to, to Elijah at that point, she said, well, we have enough food to have one more meal and then we decided we'd eat that meal and just die. Could you imagine that? I've got enough food for one meal then I, I don't know what's going to happen after that. I guess I'll just die. It is during this famine that you'll see men and women in the nation of Israel who are resorting to cannibalism. As a matter of fact, they are so infamished in this particular time period, they begin to eat their own children. Well, Isaiah, or, or Elijah rather, says to the, to the widow, uh, okay, we'll have enough food, and we'll make sure God will provide those things. He provided the oil, and he provided the meal for them. It's in 1 Kings chapter 17, beginning verse 17 through about verse 24, that uh, the widow comes to Elijah and says, My son has died. As you and I know, Elijah will go to that son's room and he'll be there laying on that bed and he will be dead. Elijah goes and prays over him and cries over him, cries out to God. What does God do? He raises that boy from the dead. You look in uh, John chapter 11. Uh, where Michael read for us this morning, and you'll see probably one of the most famous resurrections, at least in our minds, you'll see there Lazarus. He was the friend of Jesus the Christ, and so were his sisters Mary and Martha. They all lived in a town called Bethany. And Jesus gets the news that, that, he, uh, that Lazarus has passed away. Jesus stays where he is for four days, goes over to Bethany, and uh, is going to perform the miraculous to raise Lazarus from the dead. And you and I know how that ends. But I'd like for you to look in the middle portion there. As Jesus is making his way up to that house in Bethany, uh, Mary first comes out, then Martha, and they say the exact same thing, and I don't, I don't think they were rehearsing it. I don't think they said, you go say this first to him, and I'll go say this first or secondly to him so, so he'll understand the point. But they come to him and they say, if you would have been here, our brother Lazarus would not have died. And I don't think they're saying that to be 
uh, disrespectful toward him. I don't think they're saying that in, in a way to be hurtful toward him. But I think what they're saying is you would have had the power to stop this disease from taking his life. And that's the case. If he would have been there, he could have done that. And really from the uh, passage in Mark chapter 5, he didn't have to be there to do that. Why did Jesus wait so long? Well, Jesus waited so that Lazarus would literally be dead. Now that's hard for us to think about. You see, Jesus there, and they said, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. And he said, ladies, do you not realize that I am the resurrection, verse 25, but that I am the life? That is, without me, there is no resurrection. Without me, there is no life. And they said, we, we believe he's going to be resurrected. And Jesus said, not only is he going to be resurrected, he's going to be resurrected today. You'll recall, he stands in front of that, that tomb of there of Lazarus in the shortest verse in the Bible, verse number 35 there in John chapter 11, will record Jesus wept. He cried over that, and there's been speculation for years and decades and millennia over why Jesus cried at that point in time. And, and perhaps those are things, good things for us to think about, and the Bible does not tell us exactly why that is. And there he stands at the mouth of that tomb, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And just like the daughter of Jairus, just like the widow's son, Lazarus, walked out of that tomb. Now, what is the common thread in those resurrections? Well, the common thread in those resurrections is the power of God. God is that common uh, thread throughout those resurrections. You say, well, anyone can say that Jesus rose from the grave preacher. Well, let me ask you this. Where is your proof? Where is, where is your evidence? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Notice some of these sightings that are mentioned after Jesus the Christ uh, is resurrected. First, in John chapter 20, he shows himself very first to Mary Magdalene. Now, I'd like for you to notice something in history that I found particularly striking this past week. During Jesus' day, women were not allowed to speak up in court. They were not allowed to have any kind of witness. No one cared what they said. Now listen, I'm reporting history. I'm not telling you what I think. This is how it was. And, and so when the, the first person who sees and, and ex, exclaims that Jesus has risen from the grave is a woman by the name of Mary Magdalene, uh, that's very pointed. She's going to go to those apostles, future apostles, those disciples in John chapter 20 and 21 and tell them that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and he said, meet him in that upper room where you were before. And they took the, uh, the evidence of a woman which would have been beyond insane for that particular day. In Matthew chapter 28, he not only showed himself to, to her, but he showed himself to her friends. There were a group of ladies along with John and, and uh, uh, James's mother 
who were very supportive of our Lord. That is, uh, if he needed anything, uh, uh, a hole sewn up in his clothing, or if he needed some food, or if he needed this, or if he needed that, they would supply him with those things so that he could continue to do his job. But he showed himself to all five of those ladies. He showed himself in Luke chapter 24 to those two disciples walking on the road, and he had a conversation with them about how the Old Testament fits in and works with the New Testament, and they didn't know till they got through with that conversation who they were talking to. He showed himself to Peter in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, in Luke chapter 24, he showed himself to the apostles. That's also in John chapter 20, uh, without Thomas. And then seven days later, he showed himself to the apostles with Thomas. In John chapter 21, he showed himself to seven disciples by the sea. In 1 Corinthians 15, he showed himself to 500 at one time. In 1 Corinthians 15, he showed himself to James. And in Luke chapter 24 and Acts chapter 1, he showed himself to those 12 apostles, 11 apostles at that time, again. Now, if my calculation is correct, and it could be off, because I didn't ask Miss Brandy to do this. So if my calculations are correct, that's about 523 people. Is that enough? Would that be enough in our time and in our court system? If 523 people came and said, I saw this, I saw this, I saw this, would that be enough? Well, it ought to be enough today. So what's the link between Jesus and these other resurrections? It is the fact that God is involved in all of those things. Mankind does not resurrect himself. You know what is completely unique about a tomb? and a casket in our day? There is no back door. Now, there's no point in time in which we think when we put our loved one into that casket or put our loved one into that tomb that they're going to come out. And so we look at those things and we say there has to be a correlation. What is it? The correlation is God. Notice, notice what they said. They, they've seen these things. And then in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, John would write, These things we declare unto you, the things that we have seen, the things that we have heard. We know who he is. We have seen him. We've walked with him. We've talked with him. We walked with him and talked with him after he was resurrected. In Acts chapter 10, and verse 40 and 41, they said, those apostles said, We have eaten with him. We have drank with him. We know who he is. Now, there's an interesting idea in John chapter 20 and verse number 25. Here you have Thomas uh, listening to those future apostles, those 11 there, in, uh, as they have met, and they said to him, we've seen Jesus. And what did he say? He said, not till I have the ability to put my finger in his hands and to put my fist in into his side will I believe. A lot of times we look at Thomas and we call him doubting. And, and perhaps at times he had some uh, questions that may, may have us think that he was doubting, but I'd like to submit to you today that Thomas was looking for evidence. He wasn't just going to take anybody's word for it. After all, yesterday in my, in my front yard, I saw a blue gorilla. Who believes that? But what if I showed you the caged blue gorilla that I happened to catch? Would you believe it then? 
Thomas is looking and says, I want the evidence. I know you probably saw him or at least think you did, but I want to be able to. And you recall, Jesus showed himself to those, those men once again. He said, Thomas, come here and put your hand right in my hand and put your, your fist right in my side. And he didn't have to. He said, my Lord and my God. He didn't have to do those things, but he wanted the opportunity to do those things. He was looking for evidence. There were individual sightings. There were group sightings. You know, these things are still used in our court system. If, uh, if you and I, let's say four or five of us, were standing on the corner of the road down here and we saw a blue Ford truck run the red light and hit a yellow Lamborghini, right? So Drake may come up and say to the police officers, I saw a blue Ford truck hit that yellow car. All right. Is that a true statement? Yes. Scott may come up and say, well, I saw a truck run through the red light and hit that Lamborghini. Is that a true statement? Yes. Uh, I, may, I may come up and say, listen, I saw this guy on the phone in this blue Ford truck, and he ran all the way through that light, hit that Lamborghini, and just kept on going. Would that be true? Sure. Do they all give us different um, versions? It's a trick question. No. But there are different details in each of those things that help us put together that entire picture. And so as these individuals and these groups are, are telling us uh, what they saw and how they saw those things, we get a complete picture. And we see those resurrections uh, as something as phenomenal. They are miraculous and, and we cannot deny those things. And let's notice at what they did. Here's what they saw, here's what they said, and here's what they did. At, their, at Jesus' arrest, they ran. They were scared. Can you blame them? Can you blame them for being scared? Can you blame them for, for running? Not, not really. I sometimes think that I would have been, I would have been there. You know, Peter thought that too. I think when Peter said that to Jesus, he meant it. And I think when I think those things, I would mean it, but I don't know if I'd be scared and run off. But that's what they did. At his resurrection, what are they doing? Luke chapter 24, they stand before those same people they ran away from and were scared of three days later, and they publicly praise God. In Acts chapter 5, they, they uh, proclaim the, the very saving power of that resurrection. Of the resurrection that they ran away from. Here's what else they did. In Ephesians chapter 4, they taught holiness comes through the resurrection. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, they lived out those things. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, you will find them suffering for the cause. Did you know that every apostle of Jesus the Christ, according to Fox's Book of Martyrs, and that's highly regarded as, as fairly accurate, every apostle, with the exception of John, every apostle died by the hands of men. 
Some were cut in half by halberds. Some were pulled in half by, by horses. Some were crucified upside down. John was the only one to live out a normal, a full life, and he lived to be somewhere around 90 or so. It's interesting as he writes in those final books, and he called them My Little Children, as he being an older man speaking to that, those congregations there, right? My Little Children. All of these men who taught the gospel suffered for that cause. They saw the necessary uh, need of mankind to understand why this resurrection is so important. We have to ask one of three questions about Jesus the Christ and those followers of him. They're either a bunch of liars and he was never resurrected. And, and they have started a religion that has lasted for so many years and they have died for a lie. Or all of them, including Jesus of Nazareth, are a bunch of lunatics and they think he rose from the dead and they're still basing this religion on a lie now they're dying for this lie or he's the Lord or he did what he said he was going to do and he was raised this way he said he was going to be raised Jesus has proven himself time and time and time again he has uh, he has fulfilled more than 300 prophecies of the Old Testament and to believe the resurrection is to believe that everyone will be resurrected and will be judged. John, or James chapter 1 and verse 18 tells us that Jesus the Christ is, is a kind of first fruits. He is the beginning of the resurrection. Just, just as sure, if we were writing it in our vernacular today, you can bet your bottom dollar. Just as sure as Jesus walked out of that grave, when time ends and he comes back, you're going to walk out of a grave too. Unless you are still alive, you'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But just as much as Jesus was resurrected, mankind will be resurrected and mankind will be judged. If Jesus has done everything he can, if he has proven himself to be the Lord, if he has taught what is proper, if he has healed those who, is, who are sick, if he has uh, been taken in that um, garden, if he had been through a mock trial, if he was beaten, if he was hung on a cross, if he died, if he was taken down, and if he was put in a tomb that no one had ever used, and if he didn't walk out of that tomb, He's not the Lord. He's not the Son of God. But I've got good news for you. We have an opportunity to remember even today as we have already taken that opportunity, the sacrifice that was made for us. We have opportunity today to understand this fact that while Friday and Saturday of that Passover week were bad days, Sunday's coming. I'd like for you to look at one more thing. As Mary and John and Peter look into the tomb of Jesus the Christ, they see those linens, those 
those wrappings that would have been around that body over perhaps in a corner or, or flung over to the side there. There's an interesting statement made by John with the idea of this face napkin. They, they would have put a, a covering of, uh, like a, a cloth napkin over the face of the person who was deceased. So in, in ancient days, especially in the Jewish society, if you were finished with a meal, you would get up and you would put your napkin that was in your lap or for some reason I see it still tucked into their shirts. And if you were, they take that napkin and you put it right on top of your plate. That would tell the lady of the house, I'm done, I'm not coming back. If perhaps you had to go to the restroom or you needed to take care of some other type of business while supper was going on and you were coming back, you would have taken that napkin, folded it up neatly and put it into your seat an indicator to the lady of the house that I'm coming back to finish this. In John chapter 20, we see this napkin that is over the face of Jesus the Christ. Folded up. Let that sink in for a moment. As he folds this napkin up and places it there, you know what he's saying? I'm coming back. Not only am I going to leave and go to the Father, but I'm coming back. And it is uh, necessary for us to make sure that we are ready when he comes back. Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the lordship of Jesus Christ? If you do, have you done the things that he said? You know, his mother said, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. In John chapter 2 and verse number 5, would you repent of your sin? Luke 13, 3 and 5, Jesus is speaking there. Would you confess that he is the Christ? Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32, Jesus is speaking there. Would you be baptized for the remission of your sins? Mark 16, verse 16, Jesus is speaking there. Would you become a faithful child of God even today? And if you've done those things, when you look at your life, have you been faithful to him? Jesus speaks one more time on faithfulness when he speaks in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, the latter portion of it, where Jesus says, Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee a crown of life. Today is a very, very good day for us as we have an opportunity to either be obedient and be added to the family of God, or we have an opportunity to restore ourselves unto faithfulness back to God. The invitation of the Lord is always open and will remain open until he returns. Let me urge you that if you're subject to that invitation, that you come down right now while we stand and while we sing.